Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Well, so things have happened since we last talked to you about the smugglers. Yeah, but we're we're still sitting on our couch. <laughs> That's true. We're sitting on a couch in Edmonton, so nothing has changed at all. Well, the couch is four floors higher than it used to be, and on the other side of the building. That's true. We moved. We went to England. It's been so such a frantic two or three weeks that we moved immediately upon returning from England, mm-hmm. and our thoughts and um, actions have been concerned with moving and get everything set up that I don't even remember if we recorded an episode in England. I don't think we did. I think we did. I think we did one episode, didn't we? Oh, you know, I think we did. I think we did at uh, Johnny and Catherine's place. That's oh, that's right. We watched it late at night mm-hmm. when we got home because we thought we have to do at least one. Mm-hmm. And then we sat and let episode four stew for almost a month mm-hmm. before we watched it tonight. Yep. It's been, it has been crazy times, people. Crazy. So it's not Lazy Doctor Who, it's Crazy Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Is that a real laugh or a fake laugh? I'm not sure I can tell. It's actually legitimate. That was legitimate. Yeah, you got me on that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we, f- we finished it off then tonight. Episode four of The Smugglers, which also wrapped up the third production block in Doctor Who history. This mm-hmm. is the last one because they had five days of location fo- uh, footage. You can always tell at the beginning or the end of a production block in Doctor Who um, in the 60s because of the amount of location filming because they felt they could have enough time to sort of like, you know, have a bunch of filming at the end of it as opposed to try and work it around because uh, when they used to make the show mm-hmm. every week, one episode a week, boom, when they did pre-filming, they often had to, like like location filming and stuff, they would have to take that out, take the actors needed to do that, like the main cast, out of rehearsals for that week's episode mm. to shoot film for next the next story. So, wow. so what what they did here, I think, is they took a, a week off after doing the War Machines, then went to Cornwall and shot the location stuff, then went back to to London to do all the studio stuff because they had the time because they knew that this would open the fourth series of Doctor Who. Wow. Inside information. I like stuff like this. This is also the last story because uh, William Hartnell enjoyed Cornwall so much that he and his wife had their stay there for a short holiday afterwards. Um, It was after completion of this story that the BBC and Hartnell hammered out that, yeah, um, I think it's time perhaps that we part ways. So this is really the last story that William Hartnell sort of... Maybe he saw the writing on the wall, I'm not too sure, but but no official agreement had, had sort of been in place until after this story. Wow, so this is this is the last the last you know, sort of William Hartnell in really in there as the doctor sort of story. Yeah. Without knowing that he's he's got an end date, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that's how it was back then. So okay, let's do one more story with you and then that's <laughs> it. It's not it's it's a little more planned out these days mm-hmm. than it was back then. Yeah, wow. Television making was just so different. Yeah, I'm fascinated by such things. Speaking of television making, you reacted uh, to the name of the director, Julius Smith, on this one. Yeah, Julius Smith. So I knew that um, Patty Kingsland was the first. Patty Russell. 
Patty Russell. Patty Kingsland was the BBC Radiophonic Workshop musician. Music. Yeah. yeah I was getting my patties mixed That's up. That's right. So Patty Russell was the first woman to direct Doctor Who in the massacre. Yes. Um, but I guess I didn't know about others. So Julia Smith, tell me, tell me more. I don't know a lot about her career. I am sad to say, which makes me probably ignorant because I think she had a long career in television. Um, I think she was a compatriot of Verity Lambert back in the day, but I could be wrong about that. I seem to recall her name being mentioned in Verity's mm-hmm. biography. That's that's why I know it. She goes on to direct another Doctor Who story, um, which is also partially missing. So perhaps that's why her name is not, you know, referenced as much as Patty Russell's, for instance, because episodes that Patty Russell worked on exist. Yep, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's it's so hard to judge direction when you can't see anything except for the truly violent bits <laughs> that Australia cut out for us. And yet the episode begins with a shot of a knife in somebody's back. Well, I like, I was wondering about that, but but the credits were coming up right over that. Yeah. So maybe between the fact that this is the credits opening the show, if we if we cut that out, things are going to get confusing, and the fact that there's no active violence happening, it's just a knife sticking out of something. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just decided they needed to let that slide for you know sort of logistical purposes and giving it a pass. So that they would actually know what what show they're watching, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, because otherwise they would have had to sort of create some sort of alternate opening titles, you know, and or that. something. And like that doesn't seem like a thing that they would do. No, it would have been very tough for them to do, mm-hmm. I imagine, back in those days. And why would they do it? Um, so yeah, so we so so we have the knife at the back. We have various pirates getting killed and saying "R" and "Ye" and <laughs> whatnot. What did you what did you think of this this last episode here? It was delightful. Pirate fighting and and pirate pirating and i mean it's it's very much your stereotypical r matey sort of pirates they want to open the rum casks before they're done working and uh and yeah so they're like half drunk by the time blake's men show up to get them so that's part of why they mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're just they're just wasted and i mean um cherub is just he's just a perfect icky bad guy you know, you just you're rooting against him, and then you've got Pike, who's sort of the more dashing pirate captain, yep. who you don't trust, but he's he seems to live by a code of some sort. And I really appreciated the Doctor, you know, changing his deal with him and trying to get Pike to agree to keep his men from attacking the village, which I think was a nice bit of Doctorish thinking because he doesn't know for sure. You know, he doesn't know that Blake is going to be able to come with all of his men and actually, you know, make any headway against mm-hmm. all the pirates. So he's he's hedging his bets and making sure that no matter what, he has done all he can to protect the village. Even the squire, yeah. who was a nasty guy, it was also nice to see the squire sort of cowed in front of the doctor. The doctor's generosity, he's not interested in taking any of the gold um, that sort of shamed him into going straight. He was shamed straight. So <laughs> sort of scared straight. Uh, there's just all nice little little bits there. Yeah, and he even says like you know let's go let's get back to the TARDIS. Says no, I have to stay and try to help the Squire. Like mm-hmm. he actually makes a point of staying to help this one man, even though he's a rogue and a bit of a a mm-hmm. scamp himself. <laughs> the Doctor feels it's in his 
his moral duty, so to speak, to sort of help save him. And then he rushes off at the end, which um, is kind of the thing that, because uh, that's what happens at the end of uh, the War Machines in a way, too. They just sort of like disappear. Um, spoiler alert, you kind of see this thing happen um, in in the next few stories, because that's, I think this is kind of what Innes Lloyd and the producer and Jerry Davis sort of had a, I don't know if it was a running theme that's going on or if they like almost looked at it uh, as, you know, an English version of um, Zorro or something mm-hmm. like that with some sort of masked identity and, and running off and who was that masked man, that sort of thing. I'm wondering if that actually factored into some of their decisions. I wouldn't be surprised. And I think that it's really interesting to watch this and think about it that way now because later in the run of Doctor Who, uh, you get all these jokes about how the Doctor just, you know, upends society and then runs off and doesn't doesn't stick around to help clean up. And I think here, at least at this point, it's it's not so much that he's not sticking around to help clean up. He's not sticking around to get the thanks. It's like he, he could stick around and get a bunch of glory and they would throw him a big party and there would probably be dancing and wine and women and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure Ben would love the heck out of that. And Holly would probably have a good time too, but but no, he doesn't need that. He doesn't need the accolades. He wanted to stick around long enough to help the squire to make sure that he was okay, and then he was, and then they just scampered off quietly. Um, and you know, same thing in the the previous episode. So like that's it's it's from uh, I don't know altruism, just sort of just quietly quietly helping mm-hmm. and. I think that the later characterization we get that the doctor just doesn't want to see the aftermath is maybe not entirely fair. And I mean, perhaps it is for some of the other stories, like, you know, look at the Sunmakers. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the one I always think of. Like, this entire it's society true. has been torn down to its very foundation. Um, but when it comes down to it, the doctor especially in that incarnation of the doctor is not the guy to help you set up a government <laughs> and organize things. No. If he had stuck around at that point, he would probably have only made things worse. So I, I really sort of get my back up a little bit when people talk about the doctor running away. And even in new who, this is something that tends to come up a lot, like sort of this, this idea that the doctor doctor runs away from things and doesn't stick around because he's scared of endings or doesn't want to clean up or something. Mm-hmm. And I I just fundamentally disagree with that characterization of the Doctor. So so there, yeah. <laughs> I think it's also that uh, he just doesn't have to answer a bunch of questions, too. Mm-hmm. You know, he can maintain his mysterious uh, facade, so to speak, and also just not... It, it gets very uncomfortable asking, well, who are you? Well, um, I'm, uh, we gotta go. Yeah, so there's definitely some self-preservation mm-hmm. in there um, of a of a sort, which is which is fine. It's also preservation of those other cultures because yeah. I mean it's it's almost like Prime Directive in in Star Trek. How screwed up would this little Cornwall town end up being if you know suddenly they know that there's time travel and space travel and see proof of it by the TARDIS leaving and stuff like either that or the doctor would have to make up a whole bunch of lies mm-hmm. and and his companions might not be able to keep up with whatever lies he decides he's going to tell it just yeah it is it's the doctor just saving a lot of people a lot of trouble and also it's you know going back to your comment about you know rejecting the praise 
and the fanfare of, of mm-hmm. having saved the day, this is clearly a person who's not interested in wealth either because mm-hmm. he literally leaves a treasure mm-hmm. for the taking. He has a secret for the treasure, but he doesn't take a single nickel worth mm-hmm. of it. He just goes off. He's not interested in that sort of thing. It's a very, it's a very pure thought to think of that as a uh, as a lead character in a TV show. Yeah, it is, and I think that that is is definitely something that stays with the doctor all the way through. He just doesn't care about money. Sometimes he will randomly have the right money that he needs in his pockets. Often he has no money whatsoever. But the the staying around for the praise thing, um, unfortunately. I, I don't think lasts because when I think about Matt Smith's doctor, I feel like he would love a good party. Um, you know, a whole bunch of people hanging out to praise him. He That just seems like the kind of thing that, that would be right, just right there for the 11th doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, even the 10th doctor, he, he certainly enjoyed a party. I'm just, you know, picturing right. him with the sunglasses and the lay and stuff. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and actually, this is another Stephen Moffat story. Come to think of it, the girl in the fireplace. So, was too. Yep. So so it seems like the uh until we get to the to the Peter Capaldi doctor, we have some some new who doctors who are are not so not so bad with uh with celebrating their victories. <laughs> Whereas the 12th doctor just wants to get the hell out. Yeah. Or the first doctor. Yes. No, I meant the 12th Doctor. Oh, you did? Okay, I thought you were talking... I was, I was still just sort of comparing New Who Doctors in my head. The 12th Doctor, who in many ways is somewhat uh, an echo of the first Doctor, not only in sort of being senior grumpy pants, but uh-huh. also in being the first of uh, what we assume is another regeneration cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the second will be Jodie Whittaker. Is excited about that. I am too. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I don't go e as much as you do. Yeah, you're not as good at it. No. Mm-hmm. I wonder if. Uh, I wonder if we as fans think, oh well, maybe perhaps the Jodie Whittaker would be the sort of the Patrick Troughton thing. But honestly, in a way, as we veer in to talk about the new Doctor mm-hmm. a little bit, um, you know, this is the first woman Doctor, and in a way, it's kind of a similar leap and risk in just changing the actor at all as we'll see in after the at the end of this next story you know how big of a thing and everyone always looks back and says if Patrick Troughton would have failed then the show would have been done but the fact that it worked with Troughton the show could live forever and I think perhaps that Doctor Who had sort of almost reached its natural end possibly and perfection let's face it with Peter Capaldi uh, <laughs> that you know if if they if they can prove that they can you know, switch genders of the of the leading character, you know, and not have it have it actually be a different character. As um, if it succeeds, and I think it will, then this shows that Doctor Who can really do anything. Mm-hmm. Yep, I said a very similar thing on Verity that you had. At least I think I did. <laughs> I said it to somebody somewhere. <laughs> There's been a lot of conversation this past week. Oh, the podcaster's life. It's yeah. a podcast hazard. Um, that, that yeah, you had this unbelievable change to, to actually just put another actor in and have it be the same character but not act the same. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that is a big shift for this second, you know, the first regeneration, the second Doctor and here we've had so many similarities between the 12th Doctor and the first Doctor. And, you know, what is, you know, what's the next biggest thing in this day and age that you can do that would in any way echo 
the fact of just like a huge, huge retcon like they did with adding Patrick Troughton as suddenly another version of the same character. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry to say that changing the gender of of the Doctor is that big of a deal, but we are where we are in society, and it still is that big of a deal. And my fervent hope is that this working and being as fantastic as I hope it will be, it will be one of the big things that helps make it not be such a big deal and helps move us forward toward the time where it's just, you know, you just kind of shrug and go, oh, okay, that's that's different now. Cool. Let's see what comes next. I th- Yeah, I think this seems bigger because... And maybe we're placing a lot of importance on this because it's Doctor Who and we're Doctor Who fans. But, you know, Wonder Woman did amazingly well at the box office. But Wonder Woman was always a woman character anyway. Um, the Ghostbusters didn't do as well at the box office. Whatever, it's still successful. But they weren't taking the same characters and just making them women. They were. There was just a new spin on mm-hmm. the mythological tale of the original <laughs> Ghostbusters. This one, it, you're right. They're actually changing it. Um, and that's not really been done. They've never really taken ex- an existing story and changed it that way. Like they're making Oceans 8, but I don't think that's not like a direct ripoff of Oceans 11, for instance. Um, I know that they've Thor in the comics mm-hmm. is a woman now, or at least in some storyline is, I don't know if it's changed or not. Uh, but they never did it in the movies. Mm-hmm. So this this is what's that? She Hulk as well. There's a She Hulk. But that's not incredible. Is that the Incredible Hulk? Mm, yeah. Well, uh, Thor also. Yeah. There's. I don't know. There's a lot okay. of comic booky stuff that might echo that, but it hasn't been uh, done on screen. Hasn't been. Said. Yeah, done on screen or or in the movies or anything like that. So that's yeah. I think Doctor Who is is a real vanguard in this, and I think that once it succeeds, and I think it will, um, it will tell other franchises that perhaps you know what mm-hmm. we can we can ignore the mythology that we've sort of like built up around ourselves and just telling ourselves that this can't happen because of tradition and i think tradition has sort of held back uh, a lot of great decisions uh many times over the years um so it's good to see doctor who making a bold step forward Yep. And I mean, it seems like it's tailor-made for it because even before Stephen Moffat did all of that groundwork to make sure that it was very clearly reflected in the canon, even before that, there was no reason that that it couldn't happen. It was it was really just a question of Stephen Moffat, you know, seeding things very carefully over a very long period of time to to show to, to basically to point out and highlight that, that that is a thing that has has happened and can happen and now has really really happened it has mm-hmm. it has and uh, as you saw at the end of uh, episode 12 of the most current series of Doctor Who um, the Doctor runs into his former self probably at the very end of the 10th planet so all of these things are converging for our next lazy Doctor Who which will be slightly different possibly yeah as just the the weird amazing timing of this i mean our laziness <laughs> has been the most perfect wonderful like i don't know it's just like angels singing hosannas from above being yeah. like your podcast is is going to go at just the right rate so that when you get to the regeneration story of the first doctor it's going to be in a time in between the last proper season episode of your beloved 12th doctor Mm -hmm. and his regeneration at christmas and 
and the fact that it is crossing over with the episode that, that we are about to watch is just I, my mind is completely blown at the synchronicity of the timing here i am i'm very pleased Obviously, it was written in the stars and, and probably uh, fashioned as such by the Doctor Who production team mm. to keep us busy th- uh, throughout the past <laughs> few months so that we would just sort of build mm. up and, and arrive here at this at this pace. Yes, you're right. There's, there's been a conspiracy going on, I'm sure, <laughs> yep. behind the scenes to get us to England, to get us busy. Yep, yep. To, to somehow help us move all of yep. this. So anyway, here we are. And uh, and I think that it's important that we take advantage of this um, this gift that we have been given. So I want to do something a little bit different for the next episode. Not too different. Like, it's still just going to show up whenever it shows up. And it's still going to be us on the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's going to be an extra person. Uh, what we're going to do is we are going to watch probably all in one fell swoop, all four episodes of The Tenth Planet. And we are going to be joined by a guest, our good friend Annette, who was actually over with us tonight um, earlier. We watched some uh, Robin of Sherwood and some Sapphire and Steel. We are we are indoctrinating her into classic British television, um, and she's totally on board. She is came on board the show as a new Who fan and is dipping back into classic Who with us. And we are going to watch with her. And we, of course, will still talk about the story from our geeky, classic Doctor Who perspective. But because the timing is so interesting and because the Tenth Planet is, I assume, going to be, you know, knowledge of it would be probably not necessary, but certainly helpful and you know, extra fun for watching whatever ends up coming onto our screens for the Christmas episode. I want Annette here to sort of bring the new Who viewer perspective and I want her to ask questions and really make sure that she sort of understands the 10th planet in, you know, in as much as we can help her understand it in in our classic way so that any listeners who are interested in learning about the 10th planet who are not familiar with classic who might might be helped so if you have a friend or family member who is mostly a new who fan but wants to watch the 10th planet just to to know what's going on before christmas um and they do that maybe shoot them our way let them listen to just just that episode of lazy doctor who the you know the rest probably won't be super helpful but i do want this one episode to be sort of like a a little a little educational moment while still being totally geeky us on the couch. It's a great idea and one that you concocted uh, just before recording. And so uh, if the timelines work out, our friend Annette will literally be hearing about it for the first time as we're talking about it on this podcast. <laughs> when she listens to this podcast, probably tomorrow. So, so. hope you're up for it, Annette. <laughs> yeah. The pressure's on you. I hadn't even thought about that part of it, um, but I'm sure she'll be up for it because she's very smart and she's, you know, she's a teacher, so it's not like she's not used to talking to people. Yeah. And yeah. And actually it, it was, Annette, it was kind of your fault that I even thought of this because because you said while you were sitting here, you're like, oh yeah, and and I've got some, some classic Doctor Who homework to do before Christmas. So she was already planning on watching the 10th planet between then and now so we are just going to enable that and um and yeah in order to watch our copy of the 10th planet (laughs) you must be on our podcast 
That's the podcaster's curse right there. We talked about Avery's curse and the smugglers. This is the podcaster's curse. You want something out of us, you have to appear. You have to be podcast material. Mm-hmm. We got schedules to fill. Lazy, lazy schedules. Yeah. So next time, 10th Planet, uh, as we celebrate and mourn the end of the William Hartnell era, all this on Lazy Doctor Who. Goodbye. Goodbye.